Welcome. For those who don't know me, I am Pastor Daniel, and I am excited to get to share tonight. Um, I, uh, I, I think I have a very timely word this evening. Uh, it is the holiday season. Uh, I think you're all aware of that. If not, well, good morning and welcome to planet Earth. You are in the season between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, this is a very uh, full time of year. Uh, as most of us have family things that, that happen. Some of us have a little bit of family things. Some of us have tons of family things. And some of us may have no family things. And no matter which category you fall in, you feel it. And you feel it a lot this time of year. And as I was thinking, I, I realized that as, as these family things occur, some of you have to see people that you don't want to see. And there is people that you are dreading, but every year you're like, Thanksgiving and Christmas, there they are. And there are others who are going, right now I realize that there's someone not there that I really wish was there. Some of the relationships are so broken that you can't wait, like you don't want to see them. Some of them are so broken that you wish, like you just don't get to see them. And as I begin to look at this, it brings up so many relationship dynamics that we can avoid most of the time. As we go through our year, there are some of those people you're just like, I just don't call them. Another day comes, another day goes, and I don't think about it. But this time of year, relational issues are, are brought to light. And so today we're going to talk about prodigals, broken relationships, and the heart of the Father. And we're going to look at how to navigate broken relationships. How do you heal broken relationships? How did God do this? What pattern does he lay out? Because, you know, I, I, I see this around Christmas, but this is a huge thing all year round. So one of the things that I do is I do our online ministry. And as you guys ask for prayer requests, I think there's like 14 different ways that prayer requests come in. And um, if you go directly to someone for prayer, you go directly to them and I don't hear about it. If you go any other route, most of them funnel past me and I get to help pray for, for different things and, and see them. And as I look at this, the number one prayer request has to do with healing, whether it's for you or for somebody else. But one of the next leading prayer requests, and there's a couple that kind of come in pretty close there, but is prodigals and his broken relationships. And I, I got thinking about this. I thought about several families who I've been praying for, their relationship with their kids. But then I also got thinking about some of the kids who've asked me to pray for the broken relationship with their parents. And I say kids, but some of those kids have kids that are married with kids. Like, it's just, it, it, there's not an age where relationships magically get fixed. And just because you're not the, the parent of a prodigal doesn't mean that you don't deal with this. So uh, I believe that this is going to be a blessing to you, whether you have a prodigal, are a prodigal, um, have a broken family relationship, have a broken regular relationship. And if you're like, I have perfect relationships, well, God bless you. Next time you can preach. And maybe this will help you navigate the rest of the people who are around you who are dealing with broken relationships. So Let's buckle in and go for a ride. But as we do, uh, I want to look 
at a story that Jesus tells about this because he, this story is going to lay out a bunch of different principles that I believe will help us navigate these relationships. But before we do, there's like a disclaimer that I have to like stop at first because when you have a broken relationship, especially if it's a family relationship, the closer the relationship the easier it is to feel responsible for all of the brokenness and their stupidity, okay? Um, Or your own stupidity. Sometimes there's fault on both sides. But um, especially like as a parent, when a kid goes off the deep end, it can be very hard not to just go, woe is me, I have failed. Um, Or sometimes I've even seen kids, you know, watch their parents get divorced and go, what did I do. And, and, it, and it can be that way even in friendships where things get broken and we just look and we're just take all responsibility for all things on us. But I want to look at somebody who didn't make any mistakes, which kind of narrows it down. Um, so Jesus, as you look, Jesus was perfect. So he was the, the perfect friend. He was the perfect master, teacher. Jesus God in the flesh, perfect. He picks out 12 disciples and he pours his heart into them, like completely, not holding things back. And Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him and Thomas doubted him. So if someone that you've loved and poured yourself into makes a mistake, you're in good company. Uh, And and he's not even the only one. So you go, all right, who else is perfect? You're like, well, we have Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Like, we're just going to go with the Trinity. That's it. Well, you see, God the Father walking with Adam and Eve. He made Adam and Eve, put them in a perfect world, in a perfect garden with a perfect God, and they messed up. He gave them one rule, and they blew it. I'm like, wow, that's, that's impressive. Only one rule, and they still blew it. So I say that, to say, don't, don't let the fact that, that there is brokenness allow the devil to put you into condemnation underneath the rug. Because sometimes we end up with this crippling, well, it's all my fault. You know what? If, it was, if I'd have done things better, then they would still be here and the relationship wouldn't be broken. And, and I, that's a really easy spot to get into. But do you know how much good comes from that spot? None. Like, there is a level of, if you were stupid, well, let's fix it. Like, there, there, that's, that's the thing. Like, we've all done something that was not incredibly wise at some point in our life, and we get to fix things, and that's great. But part of the problem is if I internalize this, and it's my fault, then I have to fix you. And if I try to fix you, I am no longer trying to love you back to Jesus. I am trying to control you. When I try to control you, it, it normally doesn't work. And um, when it's all about me, it increases the odds that I respond in anger. When I think that your choice and your performance is a reflection of me, whether it's because I'm your parent, your spouse, or because we were best friends, however, if, if I internalize your choice and blame me for it, then my odds of responding 
in anger or control increase. But being right doesn't draw people back. Love draws people back. See, Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And a lot of times when we navigate these brokenness, we want to come at it with, but I'm right. They don't care. And when we come at it with, and I'm right, when we come at it with anger, the more that my response reflects me, the less I draw them back to the Father. The more my response reflects him and his love, the more it draws people back. James 1.20 says that the human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. That when I just try to do this on my own, it doesn't do it enough. So as we start, I want to look and go, you are not responsible for someone else's choices. You cannot make them. If you did something stupid, we'll get to that later. You can apologize and go forward. If you have more kids and you are doing something that's not working, change by all means. But having a woe is me, everything is my fault, doesn't, doesn't help. Doesn't fix it. Doesn't bring them back. So that being said, we're going to look at the story of the prodigal son. If you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, and if you know this story, hopefully I'm gonna pull out a few things that you've missed a time or two. And if you've never heard the story, well, you're in for a good one. Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus, this whole chapter, chapter 15, Jesus is telling parables. He's telling these stories about things that were lost. And he's showing God's heart towards things that get lost. And it, it makes sense as he goes through this first one, he's talking about a shepherd and a sheep and, and how this, the shepherd will, will go through all of this, leave the 99 together to go after this one sheep. And then he goes on to this lady who looks for a coin and, and he's going through and people are tracking with him, going, yes, if you lose something that you value, you go after it. And in this context of like, I don't know if you've ever had this before where you get someone saying yes, yes, yes. Have you ever, ever done that? Or had your kids do that? They're like, ask you a bunch of questions, getting you in their, like a row of saying yes. And then they ask you a question that, that normally would be a no and trying to get that yes. So Jesus has got them like in a mindset here. We're talking about things that are lost. The father loves those that are lost. He just keeps going over this and over this. And then he gets to this, the son. And this is where the rubber meets the road. It's really easy to talk about a coin because we know the coin's value and the coin's value doesn't change no matter if you step on it, drop it, lose it. It maintains its value. But when he brings it to the son, he brings it to this relationship and he, and he starts the story. He goes, there's this, this father and this father has two sons. And one day the younger son comes up to the father and he's got this brilliant idea. Um, one that, that sounds like a high schooler's brilliant idea that in reality is a horrible idea. And he comes up to the father and he goes, dad, you are taking too long to die. Um, he, he didn't actually say to die. He just goes, I want my inheritance, which normally that, anyways, he just goes through, he goes, I, I just want my inheritance. I want my portion and I, and I want it well now. And I'm sick of waiting. 
And this is the point in the story when everyone goes, did you slap him? Did you smack him? Did you hang him by his toes and use him as a piñata? Did you? Did, like, but like they're, they're going through this like series of, okay, he is making an incredibly stupid choice. Tell me how you smack down on him. And, and a lot of people around him were all about the law. And we're going to go, he is disrespecting his father. And that is like breaking the law. The law says to honor your father and mother. And they are like ready for the smackdown. This is what the father does. Says, so the father divided his estate between them. So this like blows everybody away. Like we were barely like even into his story and they're like, wait a second. What are you doing? You could be controlling him. But he divides the stuff. And this, oh, we're gonna come back to this point. There's, there's a lot of points in this story. I'm gonna tell you the whole story and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna stop at different points. So he divides this up. And when he does, the younger son does not waste much time to liquidate everything that he just got. And he's like, I got, I got a lot of stuff. I want a lot of money. And so he divides things up. He sells things off, liquidates it. And as soon as he does, he is out of there. And he goes off to a far country where depending on your translation, what word it uses for his reckless life that he dives into. But um, yeah, party life. There's just a bunch of different terms. But in, in short, he is doing everything that he grew up being told not to do. He is out there just getting drunk, partying, a um, lot of immorality, a lot of sex. Just He is just it says he wasted his money on alcohol, parties, prostitutes, you name it. And, and he goes through this and he's just having this, this party life and he's like, this is amazing! And then he runs out of money. And he's like, this is not amazing. Because not only does he run out of money, but right about the time he runs out of money, there comes a famine. So it's like he gets these bad timing awards. Like I run out of money right when there's a hiring freeze now that I want to go find a job. And he goes through and then... And I, I've, I've read this story, I can't tell you how many times, but I was reading it in a different translation the other day, and it brought some things out that I don't think I've ever found in any other translation that I've read. I'm like, this is crazy. And so I actually, I text a Greek scholar. I text Rick Renner. I said, Rick Renner? Rick, uh, I actually, I text him a picture of this in the Weist translation, and I said, is this really there in the Greek? Because... I don't actually speak Greek, but it's not in my ESV, New King James, or my NIV, and in my other. So, and he goes, yep, it's all there. The Weiss translation of that is great. And he goes through this. He, after he squanders his resources, uh, sorry, left it. He squandered his resources, living in an abandoned, desolate life. Having squandered all, there came a mighty famine in that country. He himself began to be in want. And Having proceeded, he forced himself upon a citizen of that country who was unwilling to hire him and only took him on after persistent entreaty. And he sent him into his fields to be feeding the hogs. And he was longing to fill him his stomach with some of the carob pods, which the hogs were eating. And I looked and I, and I realized that things went bad, but I just figured it was bad. And he went and found a job and it happened to be a disgusting, gross job to anybody, but to a Jew, taking care of pigs was like 
the epitome of like disgrace. Because pigs were unclean, pigs were dirty, and it, it was this really disgraceful thing. But then when, it, when I looked in this one, and it wasn't even that he got hired. It wasn't like he went to the market and was like, who's hiring? Okay, well, I need a job. You got pigs, but I just need a job. He forced himself, begged and pleaded, and didn't even get hired but was hoping that as he's working with this guy, maybe he can get some of the pods the pigs are eating. Um, we have a term for this. It's called rock bottom. And in this place, he's sitting there looking at the pig food going, oh, if only I could have some of that. It looks so good. Could you scooch over? And then he goes, what am I? He says, he came to his senses. And he thought, why am I jealous of a pig? This is dumb. My father's servants have more than enough to eat. And I, here I am in want, jealous of the pigs. And I'm taking care of pigs. And, and he decides... Okay, this is stupid. Here's what I'm going to do. I am going to go back to my father. Now, I have messed up everything. I have disgraced my father as if, if he had to divide up his inheritance between his sons and his son goes and liquidates his share instantly, that's going to go public. When, when you're like, hey, how come he's selling your tractor? Hey, how come he's selling your, your, uh, your this, that, and the other thing? Like, it, was, it could not have been kept a secret. So he's so he disgraced his father. He's like, you know what? Mate, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to go back. But, but when I get there, I'm going to like pull one of these numbers. I'm like, dad, dad, I, I screwed up. Have you ever practiced your apology, at least in your head? Like you knew you had one coming and you were like going through reciting it? Yeah. And how many of you guys ever like went through their lines too? So you say your part and then you like practice the different scenarios of what they're going to say? Yeah, I'm not the only one. Okay, so he, that's what he's doing. He's, he's going through and he's like, okay, okay. Dad, I screwed up. Dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I have messed everything up, but just make me like one of your hired servants. Okay, he doesn't even say make me a servant. He says make me like one of your hired servants. He's ready to go on the same kind of deal where he doesn't actually get hired, but he's hoping that at least he'll get fed. I'm like, he is like, I have screwed this all up, but maybe, just maybe, if I come back like groveling, I can at least get on the work the land and earn enough food to eat, which is better than where I'm at now. So he's got this like, this plan. And so he takes back off towards home. And when he's walking, he's, he's, he's getting there. And, and any time that you decide that you have to apologize, but there's a large gap between when you decide you have to apologize and when you get to apologize, there's a lot of things that are happening internally, at least for me. So I am just imagining this route, this road home, and he is playing out the scenario and probably playing every possibility of the scenario. He's playing out the possibility that his father looks at him and slaps him. And he's like, do I make it dramatic and fall over? If he thinks that he hurt me, will that increase the odds that he'll let me be one of the servants? 
Will it let him feel like he got his anger out if I just like hold really still or maybe even turn to my nose so it gets a good blood? Like, what is my like best odds? Like, is it lots of drama there? Or is it to like beg and plead? Should I get really low? Is that gonna help? Like, how do I do this? And he is like going through everything in his mind as he's on his way back. But he, he, he's, he's got this like prepped out and it tells us that he's got his, his speech prepped out. And, and, he, and as he's coming, it says, while he was a long way off, his father spots him. And this says a lot because the father didn't wait for him to arrive. The father was looking down the road. And when his father saw him down the road, the father comes flying out there. And when his father's running up to him, I just imagined that his mind would be racing, going, he's running towards me. What is he going to do? And he's looking for how many servants dad has with him going, are they going to beat me up? Are they going to kick me off the property because my share of the property I already sold? Like, that's all got to be going through. So as soon as dad shows up, he's like into speech. He's like, you know, dad gets in like, all right, close enough I can talk. And he's like, dad, I'm so sorry. I messed up, man. I disgraced you. I'm not even worth it because it's... And, and he's like mid-speech. And his dad just grabs him and hugs him. And he's like, this is not the response I was expecting. I can just like imagine like the brain freeze when you're all prepped for something and then it goes the complete opposite direction. And you're like, if he punches me, I do this. If he does this, I do this. If he does this, and, and, and I'm hoping for the possibility of getting food. And then when his dad shows up and hugs him, he's like, this was not in any of my scenarios. <laughs> and dad hugs him. And dad goes, welcome home. And dad hollers to one of the servants, not beat him up and drag him out, but get him some shoes, get him a robe, find him a ring, go kill the fatted calf. We're going to throw a party. And he, and he throws this, this massive party. And when he throws this party, he is celebrating that his son who was lost was found. But during this time, his brother comes back from the field. And when his brother comes back, who's been working really hard, he gets there and he's like, what, where's the party? How come I didn't give up? What's, the, what's going on? And one of the servants comes out and he's like, dude, your brother's back, man. We're through the party. Your dad killed the fatted calf that he's been saving for just this type of occasion. And his brother throws a fit. He, he just like starts throwing a pity party and, and he's old enough. This is the older brother. So he should, he's old enough. He shouldn't be throwing a pity party, but this is what he's doing. So dad comes out and he's like, what, what is your deal? Let's come in. Let's party. Your brother's back. And he's like, what is this? He's like, I've been with you this whole time. He's like, I worked my butt off. For, and he goes through. He's like, I have served you all these years. Yet you have not given me as much as a skinny goat. And his dad says, all that I have is yours. And when at first you read that, you think he's being um, just using an expression. But if you go back to verse 12, remember he divided his estate between them. So literally everything that his father has is his. But he was still mad that his father hadn't re-given him what he'd already given him. I thought, and that to me didn't make sense. 
at first. But he was so stuck in living by performance that not only could he not receive what he hadn't earned, he was waiting to earn it, but it filled him with utter contempt that his brother, who hadn't earned, would receive. And so I begin to look at this and realize that this father had a relationship that was broken, that was restored. And as Jesus tells the story, he represents God as the father and us as the children. And I looked and said, all right, in our relationships, what can we learn from the father? And if I learn something from the father, I can see some of these healed relationships, or at least I can reflect the father in these relationships. So, number one, taking notes. The father loved him. Not when he earned it, not when he deserved it, but he just loved them. Um, Romans chapter five, verse eight says that, but God showed his love for us and that we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We live in a culture that says, I will love you when you. When you A, B, C, and D, I will love you. When you achieve this, when you accomplish this, or when I can agree with you on everything. But do you realize that the father did not agree with the son? Do you know, agreeing is not a prerequisite to loving. And there's a lot of broken relationships because agreeing on everything has been placed above loving them. I do not have to agree with everything that you do in order to be able to love you. That doesn't mean I approve of everything just because I love you. And there's this, this spot where a lot of times we go, well, do I, do I support every decision or do I kick them out? And we think that there's like this, I either hate you because we disagree or I love you and therefore love everything that you do. Okay, those are not your only options here. I love my children and greatly disagree with them on a regular basis. I love my children. That's why they're not allowed to play in the road. I love my children. That's why I don't want them to touch hot pans. I love my children and I want them to have a good day. It's why I make them to go to bed at night. Like, for real. They're like, I don't understand. I'm like, yes, but your whole school understands if you don't get sleep. So, I love you enough. But, here's my point. It's easy with a little kid to understand that loving them doesn't mean giving them whatever they want or supporting every single decision. But we have to recognize as our children get older that loving them, and, and, and with our children, with our parents, with our friends, that loving them doesn't mean I approve of all things you ever do. And if I disagree with you, I can still love you. I'm not going to tell you that I agree just because I love you. And that's this, this other ditch of going, well, do you support every decision? No. Let me tell you, 
I think that's a bad idea. I had a conversation this week with a friend. He said, I love you. The course that you are on goes somewhere you don't want to go. If you continue down that course, you will find A, B, C, and D, and possibly a lot more, none of which you want. I don't push them away because they're, they're struggling with something. I said, you know what? I love you. Let's, um, this is what's down that road. And I'm amazed that the father, and this is, this, this is a, a brief moment that just applies to the parents. He didn't slap his son and say, there's no way on earth I'm dividing my inheritance with such a selfish little brat. But a lot of times when kids go from being a little kid to being an adult, it's a really hard thing to recognize that they're becoming an adult and that you have to love them and coach them and no longer get to control them. And a lot of relationships have been broken because after they've become an adult, parents are going, no, I'm just going to control you. And the kid goes, uh, not anymore. I'm an adult. If you're going to try to control me, I'm out. And there's this, this navigating that this father goes, I'm still going to love you. I'm not going to say it's a good idea because it's not, but I'm still going to love you. Next, number two. Um, <clears throat> never, ever, ever, ever give up on them. Pray for them. And part of never giving up on them is praying for them. And, and I look at this, when I see the father said, he saw him afar off. You know what that means? He was looking afar off. It had been a long time. But even though it had been a long time, the father hadn't given up. The father was still looking. The father was still loving. The father was still praying. He wasn't sending meals to the pig pen. He let him make the choice and experience it. And I believe that if he would have sent meals to the pig pen, his son would have never come home. It was when his son hit the bottom that he was like, wait a second, I'm being an idiot. Look at what all my choices got me. This is miserable. I'm going home. But his father wouldn't give up on him. And, and as, as, as parents, as children, as family members of the broken relationships, don't give up. That means you keep praying. And I was looking at, a, at somebody in the Bible who gave up. In 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 16, Elijah is going, I want to bless this family that has blessed me. And he goes, what could I give them? And, he, and his servant pointed out that they didn't have any kids. And he goes, ah. And, and he is used to seeing the miraculous. He's like, I'm going to speak a blessing on a child over them. And when he goes to do it, her response was not, oh, thank you. That's my heart's desire. It was, oh, no. That's been my heart's desire for way too long. And he had to through this, but she was ready to push away the promise because she had given up. She'd become jaded. And there is a temptation when we have a broken relationship that's been broken for more than an hour to become jaded. And the longer that it's been broken, the more of a temptation it is to give up. And sometimes we give up and then when they're ready to turn around, 
and come, they find, instead of finding the father looking with his eyes a long way off, they find the lights out, the doors locked. And a no trespassing sign with their name on it. <clears throat> Never give up. And, <clears throat> and, and I love this because Jesus refuses to give up on me and you. And when I look, I mentioned that his disciples, one betrayed him, one denied him, and one doubted him. Before Peter denied him, he looks at Peter, who's supposed to be one of his closest friends, closest disciples, and he goes, Peter, you're going to deny me. But I prayed for you. And Peter's like, what? No, I would never deny you. And he's like going through this like big show thing of, I would never. And he just looks and goes, I prayed for you. When you get back up, and he gives him his instructions, and it was crazy. He, he goes through and he says, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That's Luke 22, verses 31 through 33. And I guess it's through 32, and then 33 was Peter's, I would die with you. And 34 says, before the rooster crows three times, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. But God didn't give up. Jesus didn't give up. He didn't go, that's it, you loser disciple. I have had you for three years, held you the closest, shared the most with you. You have seen all these different things. You heard the Father speak from heaven and you're going to deny me. What kind of a joker are you? That's it. Bartholomew, come here. Like, but a lot of times that's how we think. We think God's going to look at us and see our, our brokenness and our failures and just boot us out and call up the next one. But his response was, I prayed for you. When you get back up, I still want to use you. I'm not done with you. And the prayer is so powerful. I can't tell you how many different people I have talked to who said, I am here because my grandma wouldn't stop praying for me. My mama wouldn't stop praying for me. My wife went to the hospital, uh, probably, well, I guess it's been a little while, it's been nine years. Um, she went to the hospital, it was, I think, just after our son had made it out of the NICU and she was still um, going back and visiting some people that we'd met in the NICU and she brought cookies and brought cookies and gave cookies to some girl on the elevator at the hospital. You know, I was like, hey, if you're here at the hospital, it's not a good day. Like, that's just kind of a thing. And so, like, hand him cookies and, hey, how can I pray? Can I, can I pray for you? You know, she learned that her kid was in the, um, there at the hospital. She's like, no, but I know why you're here. You're here because my mom won't stop praying for me. And I, <laughs> but the seeds were being planted and the seeds were being sown and the life was being drawn and pulled back. Um, wow, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things to learn from this story. Um, number three, if you have had a role in it, I guess this one kind of is, is a bonus. It doesn't really flow from the story, but it flows throughout the Gospels. If you had a role in it, apologize. There is something just amazing and restoring about humility. And when we just go, you know what? We got here because I made a mistake and I'm sorry. It does wonders. Jesus goes through and goes, stop. This is Matthew 7. This is the, the Daniel paraphrase. Stop trying to fix them while you're a mess. He goes, 
Fix your mess, then you can help them. He says, take the log out of your eye before you go telling them about the speck in their eye. And some of us, that means that the broken relationship might be because we yelled and screamed at them and told them to get out and then they left and we're like, where'd they go? Or because of the example that we set that they copied. Uh, The list goes on and on and on. But a gentle tongue is a tree of life. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When we'll go through and say, you know what? I'm sorry for my part. It does so much for bringing healing and restoration. Um, Number four, don't attack. It can be so easy to attack. The prodigal's brother was ready to attack because everything was supposed to be about what you earned. And if our life is all about what we've earned, then we will try to judge everybody around us. Going, hey, how do I measure up? And if I can push you down, if I can see what you did wrong, then no one's going to notice what I did wrong. And if you did more than me, then I'm above you. And then I, I get more of it because it's about what I earned. But that's not how the Father worked. And the, the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 19, that an offended brother is more unyielding than a strong city, quarreling than the bars of a castle. If we just attack, people do the most natural thing. One of two things, or both. They defend or they attack. Do you realize that neither of those are very good for a relationship? When we go through and just go, you did this! They're like, well, yeah, but you know what you've done? But when we go through here and we love them back, the father didn't walk up to the son on the road and go, hey, how's it going on your own there, buddy? You smell like a pig. Because you do realize he didn't get to shower on his way home. He still smelt like pigs. His father had it so easy to come in and to berate him. But his father did number five. He forgave and he restored. And and this was like this, this literally like blew his brother's mind because he couldn't comprehend a love that wasn't earned. But when we go through and we're ready to forgive and to restore, it's, it's amazing. See, for, I don't know if you ever heard the saying that for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch. Ditch A um, is refusing to admit that there's a problem and pretending, pretending it isn't there. And this is when you think that love means I just approve and accept any and every choice that you possibly can make. That's not biblical. Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians 5. And he goes, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. And he goes on and he says, you guys should be sad and in sorrow. You should remove this man from your fellowship. The other ditch is pushing them away and going, well, you've made a mistake, so now you're done. Paul addresses that one in 2 Corinthians. 
He goes, most of you opposed him and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and to comfort him. And then it goes on in verse 11. It says, so that Satan will not outsmart us. When we refuse to forgive, it says we've let Satan outsmart us. And he goes through going, will you be, will you carry my forgiveness? And I begin to look at this. And I begin to look at conflict. I begin to look at these different relationships. I begin to look at this and go, okay, so this is what the father looks like. The father looks like loving and chasing me. Even when I've failed and I've made mistakes. He called me. He called you. If you've made him your Lord, he calls us to be his ambassadors. In our relationships, our broken relationships, do we reflect his heart or our anger? Or our hurt? What's seen? And I begin to look and I begin to think and I realize that there are some here who may be the prodigal. Maybe it's in your family, but maybe you're the one who's been running from God. I begin to look and realize that you do, it's, it's Christmas season. What is this about? This is about the God who said, I will chase you down and love you. I won't give up on you and I will make a way for you to, to come home. If I got to put a motion sensor light out here, pff, I'm keeping it on. I will pursue you. I will chase you. I will lay down my life to make a way for you. And I look and this, this forgiveness blows me away. This forgiveness is offered, but we have to receive it. In your life, you get to offer. It doesn't mean that they're going to receive it. doesn't mean that they're going to come back, but you get to reflect him. But if you've never met him, if you don't know this love, you're never going to reflect it. The brother didn't know it. The brother didn't understand it and the brother couldn't show it. If you don't know that love, I want to give you an opportunity to know that love tonight. Can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? Today, if you say, today I need to come home. Today I need to be right with God. Today I need his forgiveness. Today I want... I want to know that I'm right with God and on my way to heaven. If that's you, when I count to three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Go ahead and say, that's me. Awesome. Who else says, that's me? Most important decision that you're ever going to make. Awesome. I see your hand. Who else? All right. We're going to say a simple prayer whether you're here or whether you're joining us online, we're gonna call on God's name, just like his word says. So go ahead and repeat this with me. Say, God, thank you for loving me even when I make mistakes. I believe that you died and rose again, that you shed your blood to wash away my sins. I choose to live for you from this day forward. I declare that you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.